in the book of Deuteronomy, Deuteronomy actually means second law. Uh, Moses is wrapping up his life, and he's telling the Israelites a couple of things. I wanted to share this with you before we get into our sermon. Um, He says, take to heart all the words I have solemnly declared to you this day so that you may command your children to obey carefully all the words of this law. And then here's, here's the point. These words are not just idle words. These words are your life. When we, when we spend time in God's word, according to God himself, these words feed us and they're life. And so we need to take this very, very seriously. So in this whole new series that we've been doing, we've got one more week to go next week, um, about being rich, how to be rich. Here's some, we, we found some good news and some bad news. The good news is what? You are rich. Say, I am rich. All right. Bad news is, You've never been taught how to be good at it. You're not very good at it. No one ever taught you. The good news is God's word can teach you how to be rich. Does that make anybody excited? John, thanks, John and and Nicole said, okay. So here's the deal. Here's our theme verses for this whole series from from, uh, 1 Timothy chapter 6, verses 17 through 19. Command those who are rich. All right, when I say this, when I get to this point, you're going to go, that's me. You're going to smile, and you're going to say it with an exclamation point. Enthusiasm, what I'm looking for, right? So I'm going to say, command those who are rich. You're going to say, that's me. Say it. All right, here we go. Command those those who are rich. No, 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 that's terrible. Command those who are rich. Thank you. In this present world, not to be arrogant nor to put their hope in wealth, which is so uncertain, but, but to put their hope in God, who provides us richly with everything for our what? What is that word? God wants you to enjoy life, but he doesn't want you to only enjoy life. Look what he says. Command them to do good and to be rich in good deeds. Today, we're going to talk about how you can be rich in good deeds and to be generous and willing to share. We've talked about those in the weeks past. In this way, you'll lay up treasure for themselves as a firm foundation for the coming age. What you do now matters in heaven. If there is an afterlife, this Bible talks about it, then what you do now impacts your afterlife. So he says you can, you can do some things now to build a firm foundation. And then look what he says. So that they, that's those rich people who are doing what the Bible says, so that they may take hold of life that is truly life. Jesus called this abundant life. If you want to do what matters, then you need to listen to this word and follow this word. Now, um, if you don't want to be, uh, if you don't want to waste your time, then look what Paul says in Ephesians chapter five. So be careful how you live. Don't live like, what's that word? Don't live like what? Fools. Anybody here want to be called a fool by God when you stand before him? No, don't live like fools, but live, but like those who are wise, make the most of every opportunity in these evil days. Anybody here disagree that we live in evil days? Anybody here think that we're on the upward trend when it comes to kindness and generosity and just love for your neighbor? No, we're going the wrong direction, and the Bible says we should expect that. We live in evil days. Don't live like fools, but like those who are wise. Make the most of every opportunity in these evil days. Don't act thoughtlessly, but understand what the Lord wants you to do. It is possible for you to discover God's will. Now, what I got out of this was fools waste their time and their money. Fools waste their time and their money. Wise people make the most of their time and their money. All right. Now, how many of you, and this is not a bad thing, so I'm not going to waste you if you raise your hand. How many of you love to travel? Let me see your hand. I love to travel. I love going places with my wife and with my family. Um, I love you as my church family, but I don't want to go on vacation with you. 
50-something weeks a year, 50 weeks a year is enough with you. I want to go hang out with my wife or my kids, right? You understand this? Now, several years ago, we went to Disney World. We actually went to Disney World twice. And we saved for three years, both times before we went. We saved cash so that we could pay for it and not bring it home with us. Dave Ramsey said, don't ever bring a vacation home with you. That means don't, don't put it on a credit card and then have to pay for it after you get back. So for three years, we saved both times that we went to Disney World. We love Disney World. It's clean, it's wonderful, it's the happiest place on earth, except with my 16-year-old son. I think if you're a 16-year-old son, you probably shouldn't take him because he was on his phone the whole time. He had a girlfriend back home and was kind of miserable. But anyway, we had a great time at the happiest place on earth. In those three-year periods, two three-year periods that we saved up cash so we could pay for this, we didn't stop tithing to the church. We didn't stop giving over and above the tithe, which is actually called an offering. We didn't stop doing things in the church. We didn't say, hey, you know, we're going to take three years off from church so that we can focus on this family time. We continued to serve in the church. We continued to do things in the community. We continued to pay for our compassion children. We've got three compassion children because we refused to let something like Disney World, which was was awesome and it was a great goal as our family we refused to let that become our God we could enjoy what God had given us while still doing what God has called us to do does that make sense to you Paul told Timothy preach to those rich people you need to be generous but he also said those same rich people you need to be rich in good deeds and that's what we're going to talk about today since since you are rich in good deeds my next question I mean since you are rich my next question is how rich are you in good deeds are you like like super rich, like a super luxury yacht rich. I just read this this last week that, that a billionaire had a $38 million luxury yacht on a, on a container ship and it fell off. They didn't put it on good enough. It fell off and they lost it. And so he was like, you know, it was like losing one of my homes. I'm going, dude, how many homes you got? One that, that goes across the ocean. That's awesome. How many of you are so rich in good deeds that you can say, man, my life in good deeds is like a luxury yacht? Or if we were to look at your, your good deeds compared to your bank account, would it be more like your middle class? You know, I do some. Or would you be dirt poor? It's okay. Shay's, Shay's having a hard time, but it's okay. She'll calm down in a minute. She's our special friend. Are you dirt poor when it comes to being rich in good deeds? I do not want you to be dirt poor. I want you to be above average. So here's, we've had a statement each week. We're adding to the statement. So here's our statement. I'll read it first, let you write it down, and then we'll say it together. God has blessed me with more than I need. I am rich. I will not trust in riches, but in God who richly provides. Because I have more, I will give more. And here it is, and do more. On your listening guide, because I have more, I will do more. I will give more and do more. All right, you ready? Read it with me. God has blessed me with... I am rich. I will not trust... I'm just trying to see if you're going to do it. Because I have more, I will give more and do more. Now, before anybody says, oh, this is a works church, let me lay a foundation for your good works. And here it is. We are not saved by our good works. We are saved for good works. There's a huge difference. We're not saved by good works, we're saved for good works. If you get this wrong, you will never be rich in good deeds in a way that honors God, your heavenly Father. Jesus ripped the religious leaders because they got this wrong. They did all of their righteous, their good deeds to be seen by others, to be clapped by others. Oh, they're so religious. Jesus said that's worthless in his economy. You cannot do enough good deeds to be righteous before God. But here's the deal, God can transform you 
so that then you can do good deeds on his behalf. Here's how Paul said it in Ephesians chapter 2. God saved you by his grace when you believed, and you can't take credit for this. It is a gift from God. Now, I'm going to read this next part, and then I'm going to ask you to read it a couple of times. Salvation is not a reward for the good things we've done. Read that out loud. We're going to do it two more times because I want you to understand this. Ready? Salvation is not a reward for the good things we've done. One more time with enthusiasm. Salvation... You have to understand this because look what it says. None of us can boast about our salvation. We didn't earn it. For we are God's masterpiece. And then look at this. He has created us anew in Christ Jesus. He has changed us, made us new creatures. Why? So we can do the good things he planned for us long ago. Before the foundation of the world, God was going to send Jesus to rescue you from your sins. And when he rescued you from your sins, he was going to use you then to do good things that would help rescue other people from their sins. If you'll just pay attention to the people around you, there are opportunities everywhere for you to do good deeds and point people to Jesus. Let's, but everybody's going to be different because it, 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 it depends on how God created you. So let's say, let's say you've always been one of those people, you just, you've always dreamed of being a pit crew member of, on NASCAR, right? You just, so I have an impact wrench, and when I work on my mower, I, at least once a week, I resharpen the blades on my mower because, you know, they get dull very quickly, and so I jack up my mower, and I love the sound of the impact wrench. You're going, and it comes out, it's just awesome to me. So let's say you're one of those people, you love that sound, you're driving around the loop, and you see somebody with a flat tire, and you're like, here's my chance, God. You hop out of the car, and you're like, let me at it, and you change that tire, you put it on, I mean, you're just doing the sound because you, you only got a lug wrench, but anyway, you put it back on, you're like, whoo, done, record time, and they try to pay you and you go absolutely not god sent me here to help you this one's on me because this is from god be pretty cool right okay how many of you love to cook how many of you love cooking shows on tv i cannot leave the remote control at my house lying around because one of my girls will put it on a cooking show immediately i'm like how, how much can you we'll watch chopped chopped and then, you have been chopped i'm going come on right? Or beat Bobby Flay. I asked Rachel the other day, I said, who's Bobby Flay and why do I need to beat him? He's a chef and you have this competition. I'm going, how much stuff can you cook and try? I don't care. But anyway, this the other night, I handed Rachel the remote and I said, watch whatever you want to immediately cooking show. But let's say you're one of those people who love to cook, whether you love cooking shows or not, you love to cook. You hear about somebody that gets sick or something bad happens in their life. And the first thing you think is I can fix them a meal. And this meal is going to be so good and so prayed over that the minute it touches their lips, they're going to be healed in Jesus' name. Maybe you don't go quite that far, but you understand what I'm saying. I'm going to do this because it's something that I'm good at and it can meet the needs of other people. Well, we want to do good deeds. We want to be good at doing good deeds, but we need to understand a couple of things. First of all, my good deeds should point people to God, not to me. Always point to God and not to me. Here's how Jesus said it in Matthew chapter 5. You are the light of the world. A town built on a hill cannot be hidden. Neither do people light a lamp and put it under a bowl. Instead, they put it on its stand and it gives light to everyone in the house. And look at this. In the same way, let your light shine. Jesus is talking about your actions, not your words. Let your actions shine in such a way that people may see your good deeds and glorify who? You? Oh, good job. Woo, you're so great. No, glorify who? Your Father in heaven. If your actions glorify you, they will have no supernatural power. 
If your actions, if you do your actions only to be noticed by men, God will not notice your good deeds. If someone begins to tell you, man, you're, you're good. No, no, no. God is good. You point them to God all the time. We want people to say your God is good. Um, so remember, we're not saved by doing good works, works. We're saved to do good works, and our good works should point people to God. Now, the one place on the face of the planet that should be the richest in good deeds, and it should be no contest, is the local church. And my question is, is that what people think about us? People outside the walls, do they look at the church, not just ours, but church in general, they go, man, churches, those people who follow God, they're rich in good deeds. Is that what they think of? No, they think of selfishness, they think of gossip, they think of slander, they think of, of stabbing one another in the back. The, the army of God is the only army in existence in the history of the world who shoots its own wounded. We need to be rich in good deeds, not in those other things. <laughs> so if someone tells you you're good, you, you point them to God. I think I... All right, I did skip something, yeah. I'm gonna come back to that in a minute. Uh, <laughs> let's just do it right here. John, come on up here. Stand right here, face that way. All right, let's say that John has a ministry in our church. All right, you're gonna hold this right here? I know. All right, now let's say that John has a ministry. And, and you're like, yay, John's been called by, by God. He's being used by God at New Life to do this ministry. And, and let's just say, uh, well, okay, so he's a physical therapist. Let's say that he has a, a neck-popping ministry, right? How many of you signed up for that neck-popping? It happens all the time. When he's here at band rehearsal, usually people are lined up in the front getting their neck popped or their back adjusted before we start band rehearsal. So John has this ministry, and you're like, man, that's awesome that you have a ministry. And John says, I need help. I've got people all lined up, and I don't have enough time to do it. I need more people to help me. And you go, it's not my problem. Yay that God called you to do something, but it's not my problem. Or let's say that, that, that John is coordinator of the children's ministry. And, and you say, "Woo, man, praise God that we have some place for the children to go during church. Some of you have forgotten what it's like to have children under the ages of 10. And that it's just like the, the greatest gift of God to get to do something without your children for an hour. You get to come in and worship, and you know they're in a safe place, and they're hearing about God, and, and at least they're not going to kill themselves or somebody else, you know, and you can come in, and you're just like, ah, oh, Jesus, you're so good, at least for an hour, right? And then we stand up, and we go, hey, we need some workers back there, and you're like, not my problem. Or we have this food ministry and the clothing giveaway. Woo, that's awesome. Our church is good. Woo! Are you going to give something? Not my problem. That's not my problem. Well, According to Scripture, if, if this is your church, if you're a member of this church, you're being fed at this church, is John's ministry your problem? You're at least supposed to pray. Oh, yeah, I'll pray. God help John. And then you go, no. Whatever the ministry is. Now, now it doesn't say that you're going to be called to all of those things, but you're supposed to support him. Well, let's say that John's ministry begins to grow. You ready for this, bud? All right, it's going to be a little bit... Off balance for a second, just for a second. You got it? All right. I'm hurrying. <laughs> hurrying, hurrying, hurrying. I know, I know. I'm not going to leave you here long. Now, John's ministry grows. And you're like, man, awesome. John's ministry's growing. Are you going to help? Are you really okay? Okay. 
He is a ham, so I don't know. I got to ask. He does have some issues, but okay. Woo, it's growing. Woo. Now, you can handle, how long could you stand here and hold this? Uh, 30, no, 15, five, five. Five, <laughs> 30, 15, five. No, no. You thought, you, he's worried I'm going to make him do it. No. What if, what if John had to stand there and hold that for the next 10 days? Could you do it? No. Neither can one person do all the stuff that God's called us to do at this church. One of, the, one of the failings of the church, I think, is hiring ministers and saying, you do all the work. That's not the scriptural model. And, and too often, this is why we're not known for our good deeds. It's because we say, woo, good job. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to rescue John here. <laughs> I got you. You were worried. <laughs> Love you too, bud. He sat too close today. <clears throat> Not only did we say it's not my problem, too often when we serve, we serve for the applause of men. And the Bible says all of our good deeds should point to our Heavenly Father. People should see your good deeds and not ever glorify you. This happens way too often. And, and yes, we should. I love all the folks back there that, that serve. One of my heroes is Artist Prickett. Y'all don't even know this, on, on Wednesday nights, most Wednesday nights, artist comes up here while the band, before the band even gets started, he goes back and he, he takes the trash out of the toilets, and if the toilet paper needs to be changed, he fixes that, and if the, if the paper towels need to be changed, he does that. Almost every Wednesday, he comes, and I asked him one time, I said, why do you do that? And he goes, well, you said one time, if you know artists, well, you said one time, if you see something needs to be done, do it. So I do it. And I said, dude, you're the first person in my history that's ever listened to that. I've been saying it for 36 years in ministry, and artist is the first one. He said, you said, if you see something, do something about it. So there, I mean, if I see trash, I walk and I pick it up. If, I, if you see something, do something about it. Not my problem. But when you do it, don't do it in such a way. Look at me picking up this trash. Right? <laughs> if, if you begin, if someone begins to tell you you're good and you, and you start to think, oh, I am good, remember Moses. Moses wrote the first five books of the Old Testament. And he didn't get to go into the promised land because there was a time that the people were grumbling, we're thirsty, we need water. And God said, go out and speak to the rock and I will provide water from the rock. So Moses walks out, and he gets mad at the people, and I understand this. He got mad at the people because they're always whining and complaining. I'm sorry. I'm human too. He gets mad, and he says, shall we bring water for you from this rock? He takes his rod, and he strikes the rock. Okay, first of all, who's we, Moses? Did you create the universe? Are you able to speak to the? No, no, no. God's going to bring water. So he, he tried to take God's glory. And then God said, speak to the rock. And he was so mad he struck the rock. And I understand that too. You ever hit something? <laughs> Hannah used to go and chop wood when she, when she was little. It was the coolest thing to me because I'd say, where's Hannah? And you'd look out back and she's chopping wood. Well, who's she mad at? I don't know, but she's mad. And you could tell how mad she was by how hard she was chopping it was the coolest thing. She'd take either an axe or a, or a machete out there and just be chopping wood. And I'm like, yes, that's good. I understand that. But God said, Moses, you have dishonored me in front of the people. And because of that, you will not go into the promised land. God will not give you his glory. So when we do our deeds, we need to make sure they point to God and not to us. Second, my good deeds should help others in the way they need it, not the way I want to give. 
When we go on mission trips through Praying Pelican Missions, one of the things I like about them is we hire local people to do the work. That way it brings value to their life. We honor them. We don't go in and do things for them that they could do for themselves. And it pours money into their economy. They're able to buy things. It's just the way we think things should go. So when you're, when you're meeting someone's need, think of it this way. If somebody's house burns down and you go, hey, I've got a used set of golf clubs. You want those? Is that what somebody's house, golf really? No. Um, someone loses their job. Hey, I've got this nasty, worn out couch that I stuck by the side of the road, but you can have it. I don't want it anymore, but hey, you can have it and, and I'll feel good about myself. If you'll come pick it up, you can have it. Too often we think we've done good words by giving stuff we'd never use to people. This week I heard of a book called Toxic Charity, and how churches are ruining um, communities where they're giving money, and, and I, I ordered, hadn't got it yet, but here's a couple of quotes from it. Giving to those in need what they could be gaining from their own initiative may well be the kindest way to destroy people. We don't want our, we don't want our giving and serving to destroy people. And then look at this one. There's no simple or immediate way to discern the right response without a relationship. You have to be in relationship with someone to know how to meet their needs in the way they need it. <laughs> Give an example. When in, in Haiti, right after the earthquake, some organization, don't even know who it was, came in and, and built $10,000 houses. So they built these little cookie-cutter houses. I remember the first year driving on our bus from the airport, and you saw all of them. They're just sitting there, and they're sitting there empty. And we're like, why are they empty? And so, well, they're trying to get people in there. So we were at uh, this borderless conference, is Praying Pelicans Conference. I was there just a few weeks ago. And the, the Haitian that was in charge of the ministry said he actually helped build one of those $10,000 houses. They went out and found this lady. She was a single mom, had, had three kids, if I'm remembering right. And they said, we're going to build you a house. We're going to give it to you for free. Three years later, Armando meets this woman, sees her, and says, hey, how do you like your house? She goes, I never moved in. He goes, what? Your free house? You didn't move in? She goes, no one ever once asked me what I wanted in a house. That house does not meet my needs. I went down the road a couple of miles and rented a house that meets my family's needs. Never even stepped foot in that house. And tens of thousands of dollars were thrown away because some American came in and built a house they thought would meet the needs without ever getting to know the individual's. And then the really interesting thing was this, this Almondo, this Haitian, he, he bought three of those $10,000 houses, if I got my numbers right, for $1,000, tore, tore them down, took all of the, the material to his house and built on his house because somebody tried to meet a need in the way they wanted to give it instead of the way the people needed it. Now look what Jesus did. Acts chapter 10 verse 30 says this. And you know that God anointed Jesus of Nazareth with the Holy Spirit and with power. Then Jesus went around doing good and healing all who were oppressed by the devil, for God was with him. Now, if someone is oppressed by the devil, did, we, did they need us to paint their house? Not initially. They may need that down the road. The first thing they need is to be delivered from the oppression by the devil. Not talking about possession, but oppression. Or think about this time. One time, Jesus turned water into wine. Why didn't he do that for the demon oppressed people because wouldn't that have made them feel better here take the edge off here's some wine is that what jesus did no that's not what they needed another time a synagogue leader named jairus came to jesus and his 12 year old daughter was sick and dying and he comes and he bows before jesus and he said jesus please heal my daughter and and then while he's talking to jesus some of his folks come up and they say don't bother the teacher anymore she's dead 
Don't bother him. Jesus overhears him. He looks at Jairus and he says, Jairus, look at me. He says, just believe. Then he goes and he heals his daughter. Now, my question is, why didn't Jesus go fishing, catch a fish, take the temple tax out of its mouth and give it to Jairus and say, hey, go pay your taxes? Because he did that with Peter one time. Would that, is that what Jairus needed to pay the temple tax? Not at that moment. He needed his daughter to be healed and God did that. Jesus went around doing good things. You're going to follow Jesus, you've got to do good things. But you also got to meet the needs in a way that they need it. When we go to Haiti or Belize this year in just a few weeks, we defer to the local pastor because they know that community. And whatever they say do, that's what we're going to do. We follow their rules. First couple of years when we went to Haiti, we would literally leave our shoes. So we would take an extra pair of shoes and, and we would give those to the workers. After two years and several teams coming there, what was happening was some of the workers, would, when you would walk up the hill and come in, they'd start looking at your shoes. I'm not making this up. And then they would become your friend, hoping by the end of the week. And I had a guy do this. He goes, you miss, and, and this year, I, that was the only pair I took. And I'm like, no, you can't have my shoes. Because the, the worker said, here's the deal. Most of these guys have about 10 pairs of shoes at home that other teams have given, thinking they're helping, but we weren't helping them in a way they needed. <laughs> we want to honor that local pastor. We want to honor that ministry, and we want them to be the heroes. So we give, if we take stuff now, we give it to the pastor and let them figure out how to distribute it in the, in the community. When we do something, we don't want to just do it halfway. We don't want to do the minimum. We want to go the extra mile. How many of you have heard that term, go the extra mile? It comes from Jesus. Let me show you where. Matthew chapter 5, verse 41. If a soldier demands that you carry his gear for a mile, carry it two miles. This was the Roman law. Now, the Roman mile was 1,000 steps. And the law said, because the Romans were in charge, if you're a non-Roman, a Roman soldier who was carrying his pack, and it may have been 100 pounds, he could force you to walk one mile, which was 1,000 steps. So they had mile markers all around the Roman Empire, but it wasn't to say it's this far to Dallas or it's this far to Slocum. It was to say this is how far you have to carry a Roman soldier's pack. And legally, that Roman soldier couldn't force you to go one step past the 1,000. And Jesus says, hey, not only because they're your authority, you're going to carry the pack 1,000 steps, but you're going to go 1,000 more. Not one step more, 1,000 more. Can you imagine the soldier going, he's coming to the marker, and he's thinking, oh, it's time for you to give me my pack. No, 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 I got this. Without whining, without complaining, I got you. I'll go to the next mile marker. How do you think that would impact non-believers if they know you're a Christ follower and you go the extra mile? It brings glory and honor to God. Jesus never dumbed down the requirements. He always raised the requirements. Not just one mile. Let's, let's go two. Why? Because you have a higher authority than the Roman government. And we're going to point people to them. When I was a youth minister, and I can't remember if we had two or three kids at the time. But let's say we had all three. I think it was all three. And so they were all under six years old. And there was a lady uh, whose daughter was in my youth group. And she calls us one night and she said, hey... Um, we're going to come babysit your kids. And before I could even say, we got no money to go do anything, because this had happened before. Somebody come babysit, and, and we had no money, so we went to Walmart. I'm not making this up. We'd walk Walmart, and that's, this was back when Walmart's, um, you know, where they have the garden center. They would have the swings out there, the porch swings, and Janie and I would go sit on the porch swing, because we didn't have any money to do anything else. And sometimes we would smooch, and, and, but you shouldn't do that now, because there's, there's cameras everywhere. Um, so probably don't do that. But before I could say, we don't have any money. We're going to have to go to Walmart. She said, we also have a gift card for dinner and a movie. And I'm like, well, then the answer is yes. 
So Janie and I go out, and I'd forgotten this part. I was telling her this the other day. I'd forgotten this part. She said, not only that, they cleaned our house. I said, they cleaned our house? And she goes, yes. And I was so embarrassed because we had three kids. And when you have three kids, no matter how clean it is, boom, we have Waylon this week. Waylon's two and a half, and he explodes the house as soon as he comes in. I need this toy, this toy, this toy, this toy, you know. She said, I was so embarrassed that they cleaned our house because of our three kids. It was exploded everywhere. How do you think we felt when we walked back in? We had dinner, we had movie, our kids were safe, and our house was cleaned. They went two or three, they went about five or six miles beyond the extra five or six miles. When we used to go see my parents in, in Borger, Texas, it's a 500-mile trip. And my mom was very generous for all three, actually all four of her kids. We all kind of started off uh, when we were married. We didn't have much money. And my mom put all ki- clothes on all of our children, all four of her kids. And so 12 different grandkids, she bought clothes. So she was very generous. But I think mom had forgotten how much a family of five eats. So when we would go home, we would have this, mom would set out meals and she'd say, hey, supper time. And so we'd go in there. I'm not making this up. There might be one thing of mashed potatoes, one spoonful, And one time I counted, there were 12 peas, 12, a dozen peas. And I'm going, wow. I think she'd just forgotten how much. I'm like, Jesus, you better multiply this stuff because it's not going to feed my family. But my sister and my brother-in-law had a restaurant. And they would, without me even even asking, they they would come over. And we would have to take several people out to the car and carry in so much food we couldn't even fit. In the refrigerator, my sister wanted to make sure that we were blessed and we had more than enough. That's what I want people to think of when they think of the local church. Last year when we, when we went to, we switched from Haiti to Belize last second. I mean, on Tuesday we found out we weren't going to um, Haiti and by that afternoon we had changed to Belize and um, our money was tied up that we had sent to Haiti so we didn't have any money when we went to Belize. So we said, whatever you want to do, our church has the reputation with Praying Pelican Missions. This is a group, no matter what it is, they will do it and they'll do it gladly. So we painted the church and we painted the, the bus stop the, the, the same color. I thought that was pretty brilliant. You know, hey, get off here, go to that church. But they also had these drainage ditches through the town, San Lazaro, Belize. And when I say drainage ditches, you know, they're pretty, they're pretty steep. And they were so overgrown that in some places you couldn't see the other side of the ditch. And so they said, hey, wouldn't it be great if your church came and you cleared the ditches? I'm like, sure. So we go and buy machetes. We had enough money to buy machetes and a couple of rakes. And we start chopping. And it's really the funniest thing. So you got all these folks, these Belizeans driving by looking at the, you know, I mean, this has to be a weird sight, right? All these white people cutting the ditch. And so we're, we're having a good time. Well, at one point, one of the boys, I don't remember who it was. Rachel probably does. That doesn't matter. One of the boys, he's doing something with the, with the machete, and he's not working. And, and Rachel gets disgusted, and so she walks up and just takes the machete from him. And I'm like, yes. And she starts going over and just cutting. She's cutting. She's sweating. She's breathing hard. She's just cutting. Somebody's got to do this work. Well, the Belizean teenager, I don't even remember if he was part of the congregation that, that we were serving or not. He comes and starts helping us chop. You know, all these people. He starts helping us chop these ditches. And he goes, hey. You'd be a good worker in the sugarcane field. It was the highest compliment he could give her. He didn't tell the boys that were standing over there talking. He told Rachel, when we serve, we want to do it in a way that honors God and meets the needs of the people that we're serving. We don't want to just go one mile. We want to go the extra mile when we give away clothes or whatever it is we do. And then last, my, my good deeds should glorify God through his bride. Who, who's the bride of Christ? The church. 
The bride of Christ is the hope of the world. And I said this last week, there's nothing like the local church when the local church is working right. And there is nothing as putrid as the smell of a local church that is not working right when there's selfishness and backbiting and slander and gossip. Um, one of my favorite pastors used to say um, that, that folks would go home after church on Sunday and have roast preacher for lunch where they would, they would just go over all the things the preacher did or said or, or, or did wrong. <laughs> I want you to understand the bride of Christ is very important to God. As, as if you're married, you ha- your, your bride is important to you. I want you to see this from Hebrews chapter 10. And let us consider how we may, how to, what's this word? What's this word? Provoke. Remember that word. And let us consider how, we, how to provoke one another to love and good deeds, not neglecting to meet together as is the, what, what's that word? Habit of some, but encouraging one another and all the more as you see the day approaching. So we're supposed to provoke each other. We're pretty good at provoking each other to do bad stuff, right? This says we're provoke each other to do good stuff. And then it says we're, we're not to be in the habit of skipping coming together to church. A lot of people are in the habit of that. In fact, they're saying that the numbers of people that attend church in the United States are steadily going down. Some people are in a habit of not going to church. But he said, as we see the day, and it's a capital D, you know what day that is? It's the day of Christ's return. It's the day that the world ends. Is that closer than it was yesterday? Yes, every minute is a minute closer that the world is going to end. So as we see the day approaching, as we see the world getting more and more evil, we're supposed to provoke one another towards love and good deeds. How many of you have ever had a workout partner or you had a coach that was kind of tough on you? That's their job. What are they supposed to do? They're supposed to encourage you to work out. My roommate in college was named Doug, and his, uh, they called us Doug Squared because we always did stuff together, Doug and Doug, Doug Squared. And every, Wednesday, thir- uh, every Monday, Wednesday, and Friday, we went to work out. And it was the type of deal where if you weren't there, we would go find you and drag your sorry Doug rear to, to work out. And then we would get in each other's face. You will work out. We were to provoke, spur one another on. So I started thinking about this. What, what does this mean? I Googled the synonyms of provoke, and here they are. Goad, spur, prick, sting, prod, egg on, hound, badger, in, badger, I love that. Badger, incite, rouse, stir, move, stimulate, motivate, excite, inflame, work or fire up, impel, pressure, pressurize, prompt, induce, encourage, urge, inspire. We're not, we're supposed to be constantly, and and actually, you may have uh, heard it, let us spur one another on towards love and good deeds. The word spur is the same spur that you would use in the saddle of a horse to spur the horse on. Does the horse think the spur is a pleasant experience? Probably not. I hadn't talked to one lately. But I'm assuming no. It's a sharp thing that's in the ribs. Sometimes I wish I had a cattle prod. I wish it was legal. I would prod some of you to get off your butt and do something. And I would enjoy it because some of you have been sitting a long time. We're to provoke one another towards love and good deeds. Not the, not the other provoke. Provoke. This is a serious deal. And the bride of Christ is important to Christ. And it should be important to you as well. So celebrate recovery. The landing, men's Bible study, women's Bible study. These are, these are places that you come and you connect with people and you allow them to provoke you towards love and good deeds. Instead of being a spectator, it's time for us to get busy in the bride of Christ. So here's the deal. If you attend church but you don't serve in church, 
then the good deeds that God planned long ago for you to do are not getting done. It's time to do them. Now look at Acts chapter 4, verses 33 through 35. The apostles testified powerfully to the resurrection of the Lord Jesus. That's first and foremost. And God's great blessing was upon them all. This stunned me when I read it this week. I've read this many times. It just blew my mind. There were how many needy people among them? None. There were no needy people. Why? Because those who owned land or houses would sell them and bring the money to the apostles to give to those in need. Now, I'm not saying you need to go sell everything, but that stuns me that in the first century church, there were no needy people because somebody said, that's my problem if my brother and sister in Christ has a need. It is my problem. That's what I want for our church. Let's pray together. Father, I ask you to move in a powerful way, God, and, and change us from a, from a self-focused church to a God-focused church. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.